I'd like to encourage you to take your copy of God's Word and look with me to the book of 2 Samuel, 2 Samuel chapter 7, 2 Samuel chapter 7. We begin our reflection on, thank you, sweetheart. We begin our reflection on the incarnation of Christ as we celebrate this Christmas season. Christ's birth, his first advent, his, his first coming. We look this morning at 2 Samuel chapter 7 and understand that Jesus is God's promised fulfillment of his promise to David. Next week from Romans chapter 8, verses 3 and 4, we will see that Jesus in his humanity, Christ in his humanity, has come to bring salvation for us. And then the Christmas Sunday, we'll reflect together from Romans chapter, uh, sorry, from Revelation chapter 12, Revelation chapter 12, Christ, through his humanity, rules over humanity. It's Christ's incarnation that ultimately brings about his rule in our hearts and our lives today. But how do we get to that point? You might remember all the way back from the very beginning of the book of Genesis, we're reflecting with one another in the book of Genesis together in Sunday school that humanity has a problem. Each of us equally share in this problem. We learn from Genesis chapter 3 that each of us have sinned against a holy, righteous God. Adam and Eve have sinned against God. They rebelled against God's word. And by extension, you and I too are born people separated from God who desperately need redemption. We need our relationships with God restored. But what would God do? How would God respond? What would God's response be to Adam and Eve? What would God's response be to the rest of creation? As the narrative progresses from Genesis to where we find ourselves today in 2 Samuel, the majority of you are well familiar with that story. Adam and Eve sin against God. It breaks their relationship with this God that they have been in relationship with, and their journey begins. Their journey in some way begins away from God, and God's journey towards humanity begins in his passionate pursuit of his people. And we come to 2 Samuel now, and Israel herself has done something that is in many ways against God's advice. Israel longs for a king to rule over them. They're not satisfied with God's kingly reign, which would be evidence of this rebellious nature that flows all the way back to Genesis chapter 3. And so they cry out, God, give us a king. So the Lord does just that. He gives to them a king, King Saul. But how does Israel's relationship with God go in connection to King Saul? Does King Saul lead the people of God closer to God, or does he lead them further away from God? Yes, sir, buddy, further away from God. I love it. 
Thank you. That, that had to be, was that one of the McBride boys? Yes, indeed. Thank you. That's a proud daddy moment there, Will. They're listening. I love it. They move further away from God. Until you know the story, even Saul himself has so grieved God that God's spirit is removed from him and the prophet goes in search of a new king who would rule in righteousness over the nation of Israel. And they find out in the fields this little shepherd boy, the son of Jesse, one who was small in stature, one that nobody would ever assume in any measurable way could be a king. And the prophet says, he's the king. So David is anointed for this kingly role in shepherding and ruling and leading over the nation of Israel. So we come to 2 Samuel chapter 7. David has had some difficulty, but you'll notice right at the beginning of 2 Samuel chapter 7, the narrator gives us some clues that things seem to be progressing along rather well at this time for David. Listen what the Bible says here in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 1. Now when the king lived in his house, and the Lord had given him rest from all his surrounding enemies, it appears that this is a time of peace. This is a time of prosperity for the nation of Israel. So, verse 2, David, reflecting on his kingly rule, you might imagine David having a passion for the things of God, would not be surprised to hear that he's thinking in this way of verse 2. And the king said to Nathan the prophet, by the way, we are introduced to a new prophet in the nation of Israel now. Here is Nathan the prophet. And David says to him, see now, I dwell in a house of cedar. This is a sign of great wealth. A sign of great strength. But for David, there's a problem. The ark of God only dwells in a tent. And Nathan said to the king, go, do all that is in your heart, for the Lord is with you. You can see this comparison you hear David's heart. David lives in the nicest of all the things that at his time period the world could provide. He lives in a house made of cedar. As he reflects, though, on the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant was itself the very representation of God's presence. If you wanted to know where God was, you could look to the Ark of the Covenant. And in David's mind, surely the very presence of God deserves something more than this tent. So David asked, Lord, 
through the prophet, this is what I desire to do. And the prophet says, go for it, David, this is great. So things seem wonderful. The narrative seems like this is going to conclude with, with a spectacular building. Verse 4, but the same night the word of the Lord came to Nathan, the prophet of God, that is, go and tell my servant David, thus says the Lord, would you build me a house to dwell in? I have not lived in a house since the day I brought up the people of Israel from Egypt to this day. But I have been moving about in a tent for my dwelling. In all places where I have moved with all the people of Israel, did I speak a word with any of the judges of Israel whom I command to shepherd my people Israel, saying, why have you not built me a house of cedar? Verse 8. Now therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David. From chapter 7, verse 8, down through verse 11a, the first part of verse 11, God is now going to make a number of statements to King David that we know from the text of Scripture are going to be fulfilled in David's lifetime. So listen at these promises that God is going to give to King David that David himself would be a recipient of, that David himself would see. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture from following the sheep, that you should be prince over my people Israel. And I have been with you wherever you went and have cut off all of your enemies from before you. And I will make for you a great name, like the name of the great ones on the earth. And I will appoint a place for my people Israel and will plant them so that they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more and violent men shall afflict them no more as formerly from the time that I appointed judges over my people Israel. God has taken David on this journey of reflection, but also pointing him toward the future in terms of, how, of what God has done in David's life and where God is going to lead in David's life. There's an indication from this text of Scripture that David is going to be, in every measurable way, different than King Saul. And of course, we know the narrative. Not only would David be different than King Saul, David is almost going to be different than every one of the other kings that follow in the nation of Israel or in the nation of Judah. For the majority of those kings will be kings who do not reign and rule according to the word of God but not so with King David. You see God's providence highlighted in this text. David, you were just simply out in the field. You were a nobody. But look what I did. I came to you, and I have brought you to this, to this place for you to be a prince over my people. Then God gives some promises to David in terms of his reign. David's reign, God promises, will be a reign that is primarily one 
that is indicated by peace. Not that David isn't going to have any problems, but by and large, this would be David's reign. Now notice what happens following chapter 7, verse 11b. From chapter 7, verse 11b, down to verse 16, God is still speaking to his prophet, or to his king, David, but God is now going to be speaking to David in a way of a fulfillment that David himself will not see, but yet is a promise to David himself. Look what the Lord says to David. Verse 11b, and I will give you rest from all your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. Now notice what David, how did the narrative begin? David wants to make for the Lord a house, right? Now notice what the Lord is saying to David. David, I'm going to make for you a house. Verse 12, when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up as your Bible, if you're reading from the ESV and my ESV translate, I will raise up your offspring. We might also remember from Genesis this, this narrative about seed. This is this exact same word. I will raise up your seed after you who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And when he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men, but my steadfast love will not depart from him, as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you." So this narrative changes. God, I want to build a house for you. The Lord says, no, David, I've never asked for you to build a house for me. Instead, God says to David, I am going to build a house for you. Now we wonder, what will this house be? We already know from 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 1, David already has, an, has a nice house. David already has this very comfortable, posh living place, if you will. Why does David now need a second house? Well, you say, well, pastor, clearly he's the king of Israel. Surely the king of Israel deserves a palace from which he can carry out all the business of the nation of Israel. And perhaps up in the northern part of Israel, he needs a a house along Mount Hermon so that he can go snow skiing during the winter. We all understand that, right? What type of house is God promising to King David? We get a sense of what this house would look like before we ever get to verses 16 and 17. God is not promising to to David a physical house. We might understand this more as a dynasty, as a lineage. So God says, I'm going to build for you a house, and I'm going to give to you a son. 
But David, what you desire to accomplish, this son is going to accomplish on my, on my behalf. He will build for me a house. He will build for me this place that you desire. So there's this promise to King David from the very beginning that there is going to be something that is unusual about this expression of house that will find its fulfillment in the person of Solomon. But it's not only in the person of Solomon that God will establish his house or his dynasty. Look what the text of Scripture says in verses 16 and 17. In your house, in your kingdom, shall be made sure for how long? Forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever in accordance with all these words and in accordance with the, with all this vision nathan spoke to david david is going to accomplish a fulfillment of what god had promised to abraham all the way back in genesis chapter 12 you might remember in Genesis chapter 12, God has promised to Abram that he is going to be a father of what? Of many nations. That promise is repeated again in Genesis chapter 17, verse 6, for example, and again in Genesis chapter 17, verse 16. So we understand that from Abram, God has given this promise that these nations are going to come, and now through David, God is giving this promise that this forever kingdom is going to be established. But established for whom and on behalf of whom? Clearly, the nation of Israel understands that this is a kingdom solely for them. The nation of Israel understands that this is going to be a kingdom in which they will relish for all of their lives. They understand this to be a kingdom that is unique and very specific for them. But this, my friends, this kingdom in 2 Samuel chapter 7 is not a kingdom exclusively for the Old Testament people of God, the nation of Israel. It is a kingdom that has been established for all who by faith would trust in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. You say, Pastor, how in the world do you get Jesus Christ from this Old Testament passage of Scripture? I want to show you, as we reflect together this Christmas season on Jesus' incarnation, that Jesus is the fulfillment of God's promises to King David. How will this kingdom be established? Through whom will this everlasting king be granted? As we reflect on this promise from God to King David, it's not only a promise that God has given to King David here, but it's also a promise that has been repeated and affirmed through the Old Testament prophets. I want to take you on a journey just briefly 
and look at three texts of scripture from the Old Testament prophets. Look with me first in Isaiah chapter 11. Isaiah chapter 11. We could, for example, look at Isaiah chapter 9 this morning together. But let's look at Isaiah chapter 11, verses 1 through 5. The prophets affirm this Davidic Messiah. Isaiah chapter 11. We're going to read together verses 1 through 5. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse. Now, who is Jesse? David's father. So you see the promise here. Isaiah is given a promise that there's going to be this one that is going to come from the lineage of Jesse, the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his root shall bear fruit. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. The spirit of wisdom and and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord, and his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth And with the breath of his lips, he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist and faithfulness, the belt of his loins. As Isaiah reflected upon this promise of God, Isaiah reminds us that this promise that was given to David in 2 Samuel is indeed going to be fulfilled. It's going to find its ultimate intended purpose. In whom? One who comes from the lineage of Jesse. And by extension, friends, one who comes from David. And you can see the description as Isaiah gives it in terms of what he is going to do on behalf of the people that he comes for. Ezekiel. Look with me in Ezekiel chapter 34. Ezekiel chapter 34. Ezekiel chapter 34, verses 23 and 24. Here's the Lord's promise to the nation of Israel. And I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant. See the text says? My servant David, and he shall feed them. He shall feed them and be their shepherd. And I, the Lord, will be their God. And my servant David shall be prince among them. I am the Lord. I have spoken. Now Ezekiel is prophesying Numerous years after the person of David. But notice what Ezekiel understands. He understands that there's this group of shepherds in the nation of Israel that have so perverted God's intended purpose of their office that Ezekiel is giving a a statement of judgment here against these bad bad leaders, these bad priests, these bad shepherds but, Dave, but God is reminding the people of Israel, don't lose hope. Don't lose focus of that which God has promised you. 
Can you imagine waiting five years for something that you so desire? We don't comprehend and understand. Isaiah is writing 700 years before this Davidic king would arrive on the scene. Isaiah prophesies 700 years. We can't comprehend waiting seven minutes. So Ezekiel joins his voice with the voice of Isaiah and saying, God is faithful to his word. And look with me in Amos. Amos himself, chapter 9, the very end of Amos. Amos himself joins his voice into the voice of those who are speaking of this coming, of this coming shepherd king. Listen what Amos says in Amos chapter 9, verses 11 through 15. In that day, I will raise up the booth of David that has fallen. Now who just remind us, who just reminded us that there's this one that's coming that's going to be from the shoot of Jesse? Isaiah has just told us that. Now look what Amos is affirming. Amos is affirming the exact same thing. Yes, there's going to be this one from the booth of David that I'm going to raise up and raise up its ruins and rebuild it as in the days of old that they may possess the remnant of Edom and all the nations who are called by my name, declares the Lord. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when the plowman shall overtake the reaper and the treader uh, of grapes, him who sows the seed. The mountain shall drip with sweet wine and all the hills shall flow with it. I will restore the fortunes of my people, Israel, and they shall rebuild the ruined cities and, the inhabit, and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and drink their wine, and they shall make gardens and eat their fruit. I will plant them on their land, and they shall never again be uprooted out of the land I have given them. And notice the end of Amos says the Lord your God. God grants his word to Samuel and Samuel to David. I'm going to give you a house. That house is going to be established through your son Solomon. Solomon will come and, and will build for the Lord his first house. But this is going to be different, God says to David. It's a promise of lineage. The Old Testament prophets confirm and affirm for you and me that indeed this is God's intended purpose. And notice what the New Testament does with 2 Samuel chapter 7. The New Testament itself affirms this Davidic, messianic king. In each of the Gospels, save Mark, Mark does not have an infancy narrative Matthew, Luke, and John each speak of Jesus being God's fulfillment of his promise 
to King David. Look with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1. Now what happens by the time we come to Matthew chapter 1? Is there a king ruling over Israel? No. In fact, the voice of God has been rather silent for the nation of Israel for for a really long time. But notice what Matthew does for us. Matthew chapter 1, at the very beginning, Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David. Now come down to verse 17. So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations, and from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations, and from the deportation to, uh, to Babylon to the Christ, 14 generations. The nation of Israel has been in captivity. But notice what Matthew is, is doing for us. Matthew is imaging for us at this coming one who is to be born, Jesus ends Israel's exile. Israel is now going to be brought into uh, this promised relationship, and Jesus is going to reign as their conquering king and ruler. Look what he says in Matthew chapter 2, Matthew chapter 2, verse 1. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, then verse 6 of chapter 2, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, by no means the least among the rulers of Judah, and from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. David is of what tribe? Judah. David is from the tribe of Judah himself. A promise here in reference to Bethlehem. Bethlehem is the city of David. Do you see what Matthew is doing? Jesus is this prophetic fulfillment of 2 Samuel chapter 7. Jesus is this promised messianic figure who is coming into the world to save his people from their sins. Jesus stands as a continual reminder to you and me, friends, that God is always faithful to his word. Matthew shows us Jesus as a fulfillment of 2 Samuel chapter 7. Look with me now in Luke. Luke chapter 1. Luke shows us that Jesus is this Prophetic fulfillment. Luke chapter 1, look at verse 27. Let's start in verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of, of, the house of David. Verse 32 He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. 
and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Now you remember back in 2 Samuel chapter 7, what did God say to David about his kingdom? What type of kingdom would he have? He would have an everlasting kingdom. What promise is the text of Scripture reminding us here in Luke chapter 1 that this messianic figure, this one who is to be born to Mary, what type of kingdom will he have? He will have an everlasting kingdom. The same promise given to David is the same promise being given to King Jesus, to this one who is to be God incarnate. And then look in verses 69 and 70 of chapter 1. In Zechariah's reflection, let's begin reading in verse 68. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people, and he has raised up a horn of salvation for us. How? In the house of his servant, David. Matthew affirms Jesus' Davidic lineage. Luke affirms Jesus' Davidic lineage. And look with me in John chapter 7. John chapter 7. Matthew, Luke, John. John chapter 7, verse 42. Has not... John chapter 7, verse 42, has not the scripture said that the Christ comes from the offspring of David and comes from Bethlehem, the village where David was? John is affirming that there is this truth that permeates the very text of scripture that is directly connected to God's promise that indeed there will be this one from the lineage of David who will rule rule and reign as a fulfillment of God's promise. And who is this fulfillment? Jesus. And look lastly in Romans chapter 1. We could spend the next half day with each other, friends, looking at texts of Scripture in the New Testament that affirm Jesus' Davidic lineage. But I want you to see that it's not just the Gospels that are affirming it. Paul in Romans chapter 1 also affirms Jesus' Davidic lineage. Look with me in chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand, how? Through his prophets and the holy scriptures concerning his son who was descended from David 
according to the flesh and was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. Paul says, let me introduce to you Jesus Christ, our Lord. Friends, this is what we celebrate together in this Christmas season. We celebrate together this prophetic fulfillment that God has given all the way back to King David, flowing through his prophets, culminating in the birth of Jesus. Jesus is God's prophetic fulfillment for you and me. And Jesus is coming establishes God's everlasting kingdom. The question for you and me as we reflect on this kingdom during this time of Christmas is this. God has established his kingdom through Christ. Are you part of that kingdom today, my friends? Have you submitted your life to Christ? Have you submitted your life to God's kingdom rule through Jesus? There are a number of things we think about in relationship to Christmas. We reflect together as families. We spend time together. We travel to go see family. We participate in some ways through an exchange of of gifts. And all of those things are wonderful expressions. But friend, don't miss what the true intended meaning of Christmas is to remind us of on a yearly basis. That just as a nation of Israel waited for God's prophetic fulfillment to David to establish his kingdom rule and bring forth that Davidic Messiah, and God does that through the person of Jesus, so too, so too do we who by faith have trusted in Jesus, await for God's final establishment of his kingdom. There's so many things that we can look at, maybe even some that image what the nation of Israel herself went through. And in that image, wonder, is God really going to be faithful to his promises. When we experience human suffering, family just this week shared with me a prayer request about some good friends of theirs of a 25-year-old man who is diagnosed with cancer and has three kids. And you look at that expression 
and you wonder, 25, three kids, is there any hope? We look at expressions of evil all around us. And we wonder through those expressions, is God paying attention? And then we read this Christmas narrative. And we are reminded that not only is God paying attention, God is directing all of history along that line that he has determined that will one day ultimately end and then as Amos depicted, as Ezekiel depicted, as Isaiah depicted, we will reign and rule and live with God forever in his kingdom. Don't lose hope at this moment. Don't lose focus at this moment. Don't miss God's kingdom. Trust in this sovereign God who is always faithful to his promises. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word, your word delivered to us through your prophets. Your word clearly articulated to grant to us hope. And as we reflect together in this Christmas season on the incarnation of Christ, Lord, increase our faith today. Increase our hope today that you, God, are always faithful to your promises. Would you spend a few moments where you're seated today and reflect on the preaching of God's word? As we look at Jesus being the fulfillment of God's promises, have you trusted in this Jesus? Can it be said of your life today that you are living in God's kingdom? A kingdom that is ruled by Christ. A kingdom where we have his word. A kingdom where we desire to walk in obedience to him. Have you trusted in that Davidic promise? If you're here today, friend, and you've never trusted in this Jesus, the Bible says, whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Would you trust in Christ today? Would you repent of your sins? Would you turn away from yourself and turn toward Christ would you desire today to live in God's forever kingdom? As a believer today, 
Would you spend a few moments and just give thanks to God for his faithfulness? Would you marvel at the truths of Scripture? That word spoken 700 years before Jesus would ever arrive on the scene are so clearly and beautifully depicted in the person of Jesus that the only way any of these things could be accomplished is if this Bible is literally the word of God. Would you thank God today for his word? Would you thank God for salvation that has been brought because of this word? In just a few moments, we're going to corporately stand and respond to the preaching of God's word. Perhaps you're here today and you have questions about what it means to trust in Christ. Myself and Pastor Travis will be down front as we sing. Please feel free to come forward and we'll be glad to share with you how you can trust in Christ. But friend, you don't have to come talk to one of us. There are plenty of people seated around you today. If you have questions about what it means to trust in Christ, please feel free to turn to someone seated next to you. And I promise you, they'll be glad to share with you how you can trust in Christ. Maybe you'd like for one of us just to pray with you, to rejoice with you, to rejoice in how you see God's promises fulfilled in in your life as you live out your life in God's kingdom. We would delight in shepherding your heart by praying for you during this time. Or thirdly, maybe God has impressed upon your heart that this is a congregation in which you need to be connected to live out your life on mission with him. This would be an opportunity for you to express your interest in being part of this faith family. Lord, as we respond to you, may our responses be pleasing. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with me as we sing?